0: Because there truly is hope, in spite of what depression tells you. Hello, Anita.
1: Hi, Terry. You know, the ways that we manage our depression and our mental health are really as unique as we are. And, (laughs) of course, there's the the big two, therapy and medication. And then there's all of those, you know, supplemental things that we can do. Exercise and activity, uh, tracking our, our moods definitely challenging our negative thoughts, breathing, meditation, journaling, getting outside, you know, all of those good things. But none of those are cures for depression, of course, but they are all ways that we can feel a little bit more of a sense of control in our depression. And all of those are
0: definitely ways that could improve our overall mental health. And exercising control over The bits of our mental health that we do have control over is so important because there are those chunks we don't control and can't control. And so I think it's a critical piece. Our guest today is Sandeep, and she says she really didn't know anything about mental health or how to manage it because it just wasn't discussed, which is true for many of us. Mm -hmm. And her family was brought into that equation as well, which is a key part of this episode. Here now is Sandeep giving her voice to depression. Sandeep describes herself as a 33-year-old British Asian woman. Her self-judgment has been harsh and long.
2: I am very negative on on myself. I put a lot of pressure on myself to look a certain way, to be a certain way. And I also, I just basically have negative thoughts on all different aspects of my life and the what-ifs and things like that.
0: An origin of those criticisms is an all-too-common one.
2: I've had, um, since I was a child, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of name-calling with the way I look, my weight, and things like that. Um, you know, they used to say things like chubby, fat, all these different things. And I've also, um, I've learned to internalize all these feelings. Um, it used to affect me a lot, and um, I, I wanted to do something about it, and that's what then led me to delve into exercise videos, delve into um, various diets and um, experiment. And I started to lose um, weight before I hit my teens, before 13, 14 years old.
0: That intense focus continued until Sandeep says she was eventually diagnosed with eating disorders and OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder.
2: And it's it's always been like peak and troughs, honestly, Terry. You know, it's always been there, Mm -hmm. but exasperated. Ways in different time periods of my life to date, and when I look back, I think I wouldn't really call it a sensitivity, but I would call it—I um, would call it a cry for help. Yeah. I guess there was no avenue for me to express how I was how I was feeling, what I was going through, and and mental health back then, bearing in mind, non-existent. No one talked about it. No one.
0: Fortunately, as years passed people in Sandeep's life did start noticing and talking about her mental health. And it was your father who really noticed that those behaviors of yours, you know, were, were not within the, quote, normal, healthy weight maintenance, moving your body for health, that it had crossed into something that was distinctly unhealthy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He is the one that noticed the red flags he was the one that noticed I was um, having anger back anger outbursts losing drastic amount of weight, not socializing. It was my dad that also suggested let's sit down with your mum and and talk it out and that's where um, we discussed booking a doctor's appointment and that's when when i that's when we went to the doctor's with my mum to support in the room and that's when that was the first time actually first time ever where I can actually put a name to what I'm feeling. You know, it was a mental health condition. And this, these are, these are the diagnosis. Um And sharing what I've been going through in my mind with my body. Yeah, it was very, very emotional. Very, very emotional. I didn't know where to start. But that's when the doctor, to- doctor diagnosed me and gave me antidepressants. And then they uh, referred me to the CBT sessions and started that process.
0: So getting the names for the things you were experiencing, was that a relief? Like it has a name, it has a treatment, it has their ways to manage this, or was it a shameful, oh no, I have these stigmatized problems or illnesses or whatever words are put on it. And, and now now I have this in addition to being?
2: I think to be honest, that's a really good question, Terry. I would say both. You know, you, you feel... Um both sides of that coin really you know having having a name um to these diagnoses that did help um it did help a lot um it helped with um prov- uh, providing the dedicated personalized holistic support and treatment that i needed um, mm-hmm. in that sense it also opened doors to finding counselors and things like that that are specialists in these areas yes if you imagine it as a snow globe you know, you're shaking it. And when the snow goes, the snow settles in the globe, it becomes clearer. I had that sense of clarity.
0: And with that clarity came a commitment.
2: Once I got comfortable at a stage where I'm able to share my story, once I re- reached that stage, I started to begin to question the labels. You know, these diagnoses, great to know, but it is also a label that is then attached to you. And it's hard to shimmy and shift that. So to counteract that, that's why I'm a huge advocate of knowing the human. You know, he or she is just like you, but they're going through different emotions, different thoughts, different ways of expressing themselves. Let's respect that. You know, at the end of the day, they, the day, they are human and we all are natural, empathetic people. And this is your time to, to showcase that and share that and show that you care and that there's hope at the end of the tunnel.
0: But that hopeful light can flicker on and off. And about two or three years after her diagnosis, Sandeep attempted to end her life.
2: I remember just thinking, hearing two conflicting thoughts in my mind. Um, one voice, what I call the, the angel, saying, Sandeep, you need to be here. You need to exist. Your family love you. And, and and your you know your your parents are lovely. You need to stay here and stay with us. Then you've got the devil, the voice going, and contradicting that, saying, you know, you, you don't need to be here. You're worthless. You know, you neglected your family before. You will do that again. And it became a, it became a certainty that I was um, a burden to the family. So imagine those thoughts conflicting themselves. War in my mind, in that sense, a battle back and forth. Tears streaming down my eyes. And that depression, if I was to visualise it, it was in the heart of this conflict happening between these two voices.
0: Sandeep's mother, sensing that something was very wrong, intervened.
2: She knew I was in there. She started to knock down that door ferociously just to get a response from me. I don't know how... But I started to hear her voice more. Her voice became louder in my mind. And I started to focus on that. And my mind and mentality shifted slightly. The more I focus on that, the more I stopped doing what I was doing.
0: While Sandeep's attempt is obviously a crucial element of her mental health story, it is not the focus of her life or this episode From that place, the depths of depression's despair, she has learned many self-care and mental health management tools. And the more of those we all have to use, the healthier and safer we're able to keep ourselves and each other.
2: Absolutely. I think it's so hard to really tell the signs. I mean, the only way you can tell is, number one, asking those tedious questions. It will sound Uncomfortable when you first approach that person, but do it from the angle of being an empathetic, caring individual, just wanting mm-hmm. to know and checking in with that individual, not to pry, not to mm-hmm. um, you know uh, engage in deep conversation initially, but just to ask, "How are you?" But then ask them again, "How are you really feeling today?" Give me a rating from one to ten; ten being "I'm great," one being "I'm not so great." Give me a rating between that. Let's gauge how you are feeling today. um, And how has that differed from any other day?
0: Check-ins used to require a visit in person or a phone call. Now, of course, they include easier options like texts, DMs, social media contact and apps.
2: And it doesn't need to be in depth. And it's okay that the individual in question that is struggling doesn't pour their heart out or doesn't provide that much information in the first check-in. But if you keep that consistent, if you keep the check-ins frequent um, and ask them that question, it will be great to check in with you more frequently. How does that look like for you and how we can sort of manage that around your other commitments? Have that conversation. Be honest, be truthful. So having that co- first conversation is, is challenging, but very, very worthwhile in the long run. Who
0: needs to be checked in on and when? Knowing the symptoms of depression and the warning signs of suicide can help there. An online search will detail both, and we'll link to some trusted resources with this episode. But in a word, what we're looking for are changes.
2: So some of the key red flags that I've personally noticed in not only myself, but then in others that are struggling, is number one, they start to withdraw. They don't seem to be attending family functions or social events, after work, drinks, and things like that. So they start to slowly become heavily introverted, and only one with their, with their thoughts, especially if someone's a social butterfly, you know, someone's a people person. You, you could tell these things. Yep. So definitely number one, withdrawal. Keep an eye on that.
0: Sandeep reminds another common red flag is a change in temperament or behavior.
2: That is sometimes their only way to express themselves is through anger. It's a way for them to not have that conversation or not deal with um, A, B and C issues that are going on with their mind. It's a way for them to distract themselves as well as other people. Mm. And when someone is angry regarding their mental health, all the frustration, all the anger built in, in inside of them, they, they vent that. They vent that out to the individual that is just trying to help.
0: As Sandeep shared, she exhibited both those red flags and others. And now that her family is more aware of that, they've educated themselves about her diagnoses and mental health in general, and have started a beautiful, next-level way to keep the lines of communication open and each other safer.
2: Um, so in the Asian community, we pride ourselves in having a strongly knit community. So my family is definitely a representative um, of that. We have what we call a, a family trust circle. It's my mom's idea it's a way where we dedicate at least once a month to remove ourselves from the home situation go to a nearby coffee shop cafe you name it hot drink in one hand and to go by one by one discussing what is our positives what our what are our negatives what can we do as a family to to help you and guide you through and it's a way to i guess a safe space to talk and be to open up and talk truthfully about you and a moment to talk about yourself and what's going on what's good in your life what's not going so well in your life and how can we openly solve that together as a family
0: oh it's such a different level of communication you know i'm so used to saying fine even within my family, how are you doing? Fine, you know, busy, you know, I just say, then that's usually enough yes. of an answer. So I, I really like the idea of kind of getting into it because if, you know, if you can't with the people who love you and who you love, then.
2: And to know that with mental health, it fluctuates, you know, some days you are doing well, some days you're not, so you're not doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know we say monthly, but it's a question of if you are really, really down, if you talk it out straight away, Don't even wait for that next session. That's just there as a guide. Something for us to work work towards. But if there is something pressing, please talk it out ASAP. And when you say that
0: people didn't talk about uh, mental health and you're 33, I guarantee you it was way worse for your parents. So it must be a real uh, interesting opportunity for them if my children said to me and how are you feeling what what is going well in your life what is going poorly how are you thinking in healthy ways in positive ways about yourself and how are you thinking negative ways about yourself i can't even imagine having that level of conversation so the idea that um it's an option
2: <laughs> you can find ways to build up and maintain that communication with your loved ones if not them if not them then who else isn't it you've got to start somewhere so that is just one technique that i've been advocating uh, with, with mm-hmm. thanks to my mom shout mm-hmm. out to her but there are other ways you know some people communicate through art you know art therapy where you draw be creative but then also talk at the same time you've got peer to peer support groups as well And I know that, sadly, some people out there don't have a family network and they don't have that privilege. There's a plethora of resources and people that are there and willing to help as well. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody to to turn to, to pick up the phone to.
0: This might be a good time to remind that in the United States, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline number has changed to a simple three-digit number, 988. And if you're outside of the US, please do an internet search for a crisis line in your area. We strongly suggest that you program that into your phone, just so you have it when you need it and you're not having to look it up at a less resourced time. Also, a quick reminder that you do not have to be suicidal to call those lines. They're crisis lines, and you define what a crisis is for you. Feeling out of control is a crisis.
2: It's perfectly okay to not be okay. And... Put your hand up to say that you're not doing well. You know, I'm not doing well in this area. Um, I don't feel okay in this particular area. The more we do that, the more we see it um, as a conversational piece. It becomes a norm eventually.
1: So, Terry. There's a lot of really, you know, helpful information in what Sandeep was talking about today. But my biggest takeaway was how observant and supportive her family was and how huge a role that they played in getting her help and that monthly family circle idea. Yes. What did you think of that?
0: I think it's amazing and I think it would be a very rare situation that somebody would have that have the opportunity to have that have maybe Mm -hmm. them in their lives them being trustworthy but i think it could be expanded i don't have it right there is i don't have family members that i could say let's Mm -hmm. talk who who would know how to to respond and not panic or not say you Mm -hmm. know whatever unhelpful thing they might say um with all due respect to my family who i love they just aren't aren't versed in this but i'm thinking that it could be a skype meeting Mm -hmm you know, maybe other week with a couple of friends, uh, somebody you've met online, you know, it, we can create the family we need to have these discussions, whether or not we're lucky enough mm-hmm. to have them. And so I've been giving it a lot of thought because I, I think it could be a very, very good thing because those questions, you know, how are you thinking negatively about mm-hmm. yourself? That'd be a really interesting conversation to have with someone who could say, not you're wrong, but just let me tell you from the outside, what what values i see what worth i see in you and that might be a really helpful reminder so that was also my takeaway mm-hmm. and it's actually why i reached out to Sandeep in the first place cuz i will be linking to a documentary that she was part of and she talked about that family mm-hmm. trust circle and trust mm-hmm. is the key it doesn't have to be family it has to be people right, you trust right.
1: yeah and i was i was thinking back to families that that i know and that i've worked with who have you know regularly scheduled family meetings and, you know, really? adolescents and teens that I work with will roll their eyes about it. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. they secretly mm-hmm. love that there is um, a regularly scheduled time, that people are going to be checking in with them, mm-hmm. that if they have something that they want to share, they can do that at that time. And it just removes one more barrier, especially for kids where the, they're they're struggling a lo- with a lot on their shoulders and not usually talking to their parents families about it sometimes just removes a barrier for them to be able to maybe honestly connect with their family and say hey i am struggling and especially if families can ask those questions in those family meetings so how are you really you know and Mm -hmm. and kind of go below the surface and make it a safe space to do that i think that's a that's a that's a great idea
0: and i i was speaking with a friend about this yesterday and she said like my kids would not have done that so i think it depends on the the people involved in in your trust circle i think it also depends on how trustworthy you mm-hmm. are if you overreact or if you minimize right then it's not a yeah it's not a safe space then exactly so that that whole concept that we've said so many times well that our guests have said mm-hmm. so many times mm-hmm. just listen just listen to me you know you don't have to tell me how i'm wrong you don't have to tell me any of those things. Just listen to me and let me say, I am feeling like mm-hmm. a worthless human being. Mm-hmm. And you say, wow, I am so sorry. I have felt that way. And it is a horrible way to feel. And I hope you don't feel that way for a long time. And that if you do, you know, we talk yeah. again so that we can talk about some resources. I mean, all those things would be, oh, they would have. I mean, mm-hmm. get a little bit choked up. They would have helped me so much. I, I would really like to. And I, I think I might have done mm-hmm. it, been more open with strangers, I think if it was an online group as opposed to a sibling or a parent, um, I -hmm. don't know that I would have been forthright. Uh, Is that the right word, forthright? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think that if it was particularly other people with depression, and then I could say those thoughts, my God, you know, I cannot stop thinking about death. And they say, ah, you know, me too, but are you suicidal? Oh, gosh, no. Mm -hmm. Just the thoughts. Now we're past that whereas somebody who is not accustomed to those thoughts or those conversations right, might overreact. So, I think it really does yeah. depend. Well,
1: you know, I think from generation to generation we just become more emotionally literate and and able us. to, you know, to have those conversations and to allow that safe space for our kids and, you know, our kids will become parents and hopefully, you know, they'll be able to to do even better with theirs, so. Mm-hmm. And
0: not just for our kids, for ourselves. I mean, yes. my kids have certainly, you know. I, I, as I said <laughs> to Sandeep, I say fine or busy every time someone asks me how I am. You know, it, it's a rare day that I feel like I can say I'm not in danger, but I'm, 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 I'm strug, struggling, struggling, challenged. I'm, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not. You know, I'm certainly not feeling good. Yeah, but I'm not worried. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I wouldn't mind feeling an awful lot better. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> anything you can do to help. So, and, and that connection alone might be part of what is what is helpful. Yes. You know, just being able to express it, being able to say, "Oh, you know, if this doesn't lighten up soon, I'm going to have to do something really different." Mm-hmm. So, all those con- any conversation, any conversation, yes. is is helpful. Which I don't think I would have believed until I started having them regularly. Mm-hmm. And given that, you know, we do this every week, that means in between, Mm -hmm. I'm having a really intimate conversation with someone about depression. Mm -hmm. And I learn, I think the guests benefit in some way from being able to express it. Mm -hmm. I know I benefit from being, you know, we benefit from being able to hear it. And it's a, well, you hear it all the time, you're a therapist, (laughs) but it's... um. I, I just find it a fascinating... I did not know this before I started, that there was such healing potential in conversations. It's
1: the, to me, that feeling of, again, connecting with another person and recognizing that you're not alone and you're you know the thoughts and feelings that you're having, is it is healing in and of itself. It's just you know one of those things we add to everything else, but it's I think it's very powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. You just use the phrase, you're not alone, and... I use that hashtag a lot when I post for our podcast, Mm -hmm. and it's always bothered me a little bit because I know that I was alone. Mm -hmm. You know, you look around the room, it's like, yeah, I am. Stop telling me I'm not. I am alone in this. I am alone in the pit. Nobody's like, hey, bud, you know, when they're down there. I'm wondering if I'm going to shift and start using the phrase, you're not the only one. Cause that I would have believed.
1: Yes, because that's actually what I, that's exactly the, the concept that's behind that phrase. But you're right. Yes. I think that phrase, you're not yes. alone can make you feel like, am I crazy? Because I definitely am where, <laughs> as I'm looking around. So right. you're right. I'm not the only one in this place. I'm not the only one struggling. Right. That's where the power of, yes. of feeling like you're not alone could come from without denying the yes. reality that you may be very alone. In that moment, yeah. yes,
0: and I, and I think it can feel a little bumper mm-hmm. stickery, you know, a little. Hey, you're not alone, yeah. and it's like, don't tell yeah. me I'm not alone. I know I was alone. Mm-hmm. I would you know, and I I know that other people feel that yeah. way too. So I think that I'll be making that shift when I discuss it. It's a it. good
1: shift. I think I think it's it's a good one for me to do as well. Thank
0: mm-hmm. you to Sandeep. Thank you to her family. Uh, we will be linking to the really good documentary that she is a part of, and you can hear more about her story. And other people's in that.
1: And we'll be back next week. We
0: truly hope that our
1: podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone
0: else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.